Chapter 2. The Last Frontier One main reason I returned to Alaska was to co-host an event with my beloved friend Shirley May. We had a women's retreat scheduled on March 24th, 25th, and 26th in Big Lake, Alaska. However, we hadn't gotten anyone to sign up yet, and there was less than a month to go. Shirley and I hosted this women's weekend once before, in the fall of 2016, and we had seen a tremendous response that led to a short waiting list of women interested in attending this next one. I was stumped as to why we hadn't had any bites yet. Meanwhile, Kurt, the owner of the house, was asking for a deposit to hold the dates. We requested three more days so we could figure out what was going on. He graciously agreed. There was much to be done in three days if we were going to secure enough participants to make this a go. Then, on the afternoon of March 13th, I went to my computer and there was an email from Kara, Kyle Cease's assistant. My heart stopped. The memory of my certainty flooded back in. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! Hi, Camille. We are so excited to watch your video. I used the link below, but it tells me that the video is not available. Sincerely, Kara. What? How can that be? I went to YouTube, fixed the problem, resent the video, and was relieved when Kara confirmed being able to view it. I waited. Nothing. I waited some more. Nothing. A nail biter. And since I've never had long nails, it was a short trip. It was late afternoon and I could hardly contain myself. I decided I needed to go somewhere to distract myself. I headed out to watch a movie, hoping to get lost in another world. I barely managed to do that. When I got back home, I rushed to my laptop and checked my email. It was now 9 p.m., and I saw that the following message had been waiting for me since 6 o'clock. Hello, lovely flow group submitters. First... Thank you so much for your videos. It has been our pleasure to watch them. For those of you who we've had trouble opening your video links, you've already been reached out to in a separate email. This email is to let you know that we've had a recent opening for our March 24th through the 26th flow group. Yay! This is a major double yay because this is potentially our last flow group of the year. With Kyle's book being released in May, our schedule has become quite full. We've had so many submissions and thus are inquiring, if selected, would you be able to attend the March Flow Group? The weekend starts midday, Friday the 24th, with full days on Saturday and Sunday. If this is a big yes for you, please let me know as you are all specifically wonderful, so most likely we will work on a first-come, first-served basis. Sincerely, Kara, Flow Group Coordinator. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! This was incredible! The currency of life itself was flowing through me with such power in that moment, I was lost in an out-of-this-world feeling beyond description. And then, with a sudden drop in my heart, I realized the flow group retreat with Kyle was on the same weekend Shirley and I were scheduled to lead our own retreat. What the fuck? I called Shirley right away and told her the whole story in one breath, asking, What should I do? 
with all the unconditional love that is within her, she calmly said, Tell Kara you're in. Really? My heart was pounding. How would you feel if we canceled the retreat? I asked. Relieved, she said, laughing. Our retreat is 11 days away, and we've got no one signed up. And then it dawned on both of us. This must be why nobody registered for our event. I wasn't going to be here for it. I was going to be in California. The lack of response and attendees, so perplexing before, was now evidence of incredible synchronicity. Right then and there, I replied to Kara's email and wrote, I'm in. I hung up the phone with Shirley, only to call her back 15 minutes later. I was so overwhelmed by what was happening that my mind was spinning and my heart was leaping. I needed to talk more about this amazing turn of events so that the reality of the situation could sink into them both. By this point, it was nearly 11 p.m., and Shirley and I had ended what turned out to be another hour of highly charged conversation. I made myself a cup of tea and put another log in the fireplace, a warm and wonderful glow, the only thing lighting the darkened room. As I sat there, staring into the flames, something extraordinary happened. A mystical experience began to descend upon me. Suddenly, I heard the sounds of a cocktail party with faint music in the background, glasses clinking, the fabulous chatter of a crowd of people swarming over each other with stories and laughter. The accompanying feeling was one of joy and celebration. And then I heard its voice, a voice that held within it all the voices of those who love me, all my guardian angels and spirit guides, with even my father's distinctive tone layered in. This is for you, the voice of voices said. We're so excited for you. I closed my eyes and joined them in the celebration that would last long into the night. The next morning, Tuesday, I got an email from Kara letting me know that Kyle wanted to see my video. I cannot even begin to describe what I felt. Do you ever get that feeling about something where you know what's going to happen even though there isn't any evidence to prove that you could know what you know? That's what I experienced. I sent the video link. And what do you know? Kyle couldn't watch that video either. So I corrected it again and off it went. I spent the day telling myself to relax, but that wasn't possible. I was checking my email every hour and nothing. There was no response all day and all night long. My mind was working overtime. How could they not communicate something? By the end of the night, I was exhausted, but somehow managed to keep my spirits high, remembering that I already knew how this was going to turn out. The next day, Wednesday, I was on the phone with my beloved prayer partner, Kaleem. It was 6 a.m. and 10 below zero. The morning sky was like night, with Venus hanging right outside the window and the promise of a world beyond. It was a wonderful opportunity to share the story with another friend who has been a part of my life for 20 years. We prayed a prayer of knowing the truth and the perfection of this entire experience. After I hung up, I fell back to sleep. 
I awoke hours later, and before my eyes were open, my mind said, Check the airfares to Los Angeles. As if there was a person in the room, I replied, Hell no, I'm definitely not doing that, that's for sure. Buoyed by the spiritual exchange with Kaleem, Wednesday morning was a continuation of the mystical experience that I was going through. I was in a heightened state of awareness as I waited to hear back from Kara. The presence was all around me. It was palpable. For all these years in which I had been reaching out and then inward, seeking it through my practices, it was with me that day in a way that was beyond anything I had ever known before. I felt so supported, so loved. I could hear it whispering in my ear, and I listened. I listened deeply. At 1 p.m., I got the email from Kara I had been waiting for. Hi, Camille. Do you have time to chat around 2.30 to 3 Pacific Standard Time today? I sat and looked at that email for what seemed like eternity. It felt like electricity was lighting up my nervous system. I responded to her with my phone number, and then the call came in. Hi, Camille. It's Kara. Yes, I know. Hi, Kara. Camille, Kyle wants you to know that you're the winner. I burst into tears. I was jumping up and down and screaming. Then I told her everything that had happened in less than half a breath. I had to let her know that I knew she was in the story before she knew I was in the flow group. And she was blown away by that. Now it was time for me to take care of the logistics. I had said yes to this experience without knowing how it was all going to come together, which is code for how I was going to pay for it. Airfare, money for the B&B, and of course the chunk of change the weekend itself would cost. These were all things I had to figure out. Turns out, it was already done for me. One miracle after another showed up. One came in the form of an increased credit limit the very day I was selected for the exact amount of the registration cost. Seriously, financial gifts came from dear friends who were so thrilled for me that they wanted to help make this happen. Everything lined up better than I could have put it together. It was further proof of the power of active faith the power of believing, the power of getting out of the way and letting the intelligence that holds the planets in place handle things far better than anything my limited mind could have orchestrated. When I finally did check airfares, I found two one-way flights for less than $150 each. It was a 24-hour whirlwind with thousands of dollars flowing through my hands. Meanwhile, Shirley and I canceled the women's retreat and the next thing I knew, I was flying to Los Angeles, staying in a million-dollar house, and watching Kyle Cease pull up in the driveway. One other thing you should know. Right before I left Alaska for the Flow Group retreat in Los Angeles, I told a few close friends and my family what I felt was going to happen that weekend with Kyle. I knew I was going to get answers and have clarity. I was going to get direction. I was going to come home with the information I believed I didn't have, and I was going to move my life forward. My calendar was going to be full of activity. Money was going to flow in and build. Shirley and I were going to have sold-out events. This was going to happen, and that was going to happen, and I was so excited. 
It was the break I'd been looking for. By the end of the retreat's first night, I knew I was screwed. Chapter 3 This is not what I ordered. Our flow group of four included my fellow travelers for the weekend, Kat, Mark, and Sasha. Kat lived in the area and didn't stay in the house with us, so Sasha, Mark, and I spent the most time together. Sasha was from Australia, Mark from Rochester, New York. I landed in L.A. the day before the retreat. Sasha had gotten there early as well, and I was excited about meeting another attendee before we started the weekend. I met Sasha at the Denny's near LAX, and I knew her as soon as I walked in. The first thing I saw was the flower tucked behind her right ear, adorning her wavy brown hair that fell just past her shoulders. So feminine, I thought, as I approached the table. I wish I had the confidence to wear one, too, suddenly yearning for my own expression of softness. My first hours with Sasha felt like two best friends who hadn't seen each other in a while, but had no problem dropping deep down into the heart of the matter. We were immediately speaking to each other with a depth of honesty and authenticity that lit me up. Our connection felt like it had already been coordinated in the soup of the universe. I sat in Denny's in utter awe, licking the salt off my fingers that the crispy french fries had left behind, as she told me her story punctuated with exclamations of amazement from me. Wait, what? You built a cafe out of straw? How the hell did you do that? She went on to tell me, matter-of-factly, how it's done, and I listened, trying to imagine the bales of hay being roped with twine, stacked, and made into walls. After a few more minutes, I said it again. Wait, what? You built an underground bed and breakfast? How the hell did you do that? She described in vivid detail how she and her husband used a shovel to move thousands of pounds of dirt over the course of 15 years before they finally brought in a small machine to do the rest of the work for them. Her matter-of-fact words had me spellbound as I sat in utter amazement of this woman who moved mountains to create the life she lived. As she continued, there was a third time. Wait, what? You and your family would go hunting every Friday night for kangaroo? because you had no food and you were known for your kangaroo pie that you sold at your straw cafe for the guests in your underground bed and breakfast? You get the idea. I was in the presence of a goddess, a warrior woman, a high priestess, an avatar, who would go on to expose her heart to me in a way that I knew I would honor and hold sacred for my entire life. Mark was the third person who was staying in the luxurious retreat space with its floor-to-ceiling windows and soaked sun patio. We knew he was spending Thursday night in Beverly Hills and wondered who he was and what brought him here. When he joined us on Friday morning for the first day of the retreat, a slender and healthy-looking 60-something man, we learned that Mark was a funeral director and had just written a book, Living and Dying, finding love and hope in the journey of loss. When Mark first walked in the door, he seemed a very cool and collected man, 
Not much emotion showing through, but just enough to feel some warmth and an eagerness about the group that was forming. I told him how fantastic it was that he had written a book and what an amazing opportunity he had to help people with such a tender subject. I am no stranger to grief. Ever since my two sisters each lost their husbands at a young age, along with my own losses, I've had a very acute sensitivity to grief, loss, and transition. This common ground quickened my connection to Mark as we settled in. Last to arrive was Kat, a massage therapist with her New Zealand accent and sun-kissed California skin. As the four of us awaited Kyle's arrival on that first day of the retreat, I found myself getting emotional. I still couldn't quite believe this was all happening and how fast it happened. Kyle's lead facilitator, who had communicated with me in Alaska, Kara, was waiting with us and informed us that Kyle had just texted and was on his way. I was standing by a large window overlooking the driveway when I saw him pull in. Kara went to the door to meet him, and I heard the voice I had come to know through countless hours of video watching. As he climbed the steps to the living room area, I started crying. As he welcomed us one by one, he was clearly bewildered by my tears when he gave me a hug. A pretty funny sight in retrospect, but at the time, what else could I do? We moved to one of the three living rooms and gathered around a glass coffee table. We took turns sharing why we were there. I finally got to tell him this incredible story. As I finished, he said something I'll always remember. Wow, I'm really honored. Thank you. But you know this is you, right? You know this is inside you. I was perplexed by his comment and confused as to why he was making this all about me. Slightly annoyed, I shrugged it off as we started our weekend together. After introductions and dinner, Kyle took us through an exercise where we divided a piece of paper in half. On the left side, we wrote down everything we wanted to do. And then, on the right side, we were to write the reason we can't do it. Of course, writing all of my heart's desires on the left side of the page was a joy. That had been how I started this new year, identifying all the things I really wanted to experience, so the list was fresh in my mind. I want to go on vacation on a beach. I want to help my family. I want to help people awaken to their magnificence. I want to be fully in my gifts and feel successful at expressing them. I want to have a steady income doing what I love. I want to fall in love. On the opposite page, I wrote the buts that got in the way of my heart's desires. I knew them all too well. I want to go on vacation, but I don't have any money. I want to but I can't because, ugh, given what I had just been through in New Jersey with that trip to Maui I didn't take, I'd been more sensitive to how my mind played the role of Debbie Downer to my heart. I already know this game, I thought. Yet, as I was writing the butts to all my desires, I could feel this instant discomfort that grew in intensity quite quickly, and suddenly I wanted to run out of the room. What was happening? It was a very heavy, oppressive feeling, and my head started to hurt immensely. Kyle was going around the group to check in. As people were talking, I was consumed by this horrible feeling, my tears building, my head exploding, my heart breaking. Then, a tsunami-sized wave of emotion began to rise up, much like nausea, 
you know what's coming, and there's nothing you can do but hold on. At some point, I blurted out, I need help. Kyle turned around, and I had a complete and total meltdown. Huge drops of tears fell down my cheeks onto my journal pages. At the peak of my embarrassment, Kyle asked me what was going on, and my answer was filled with sheer terror, as if someone was about to drown. I have to know what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to do next. I have to leave here with a plan, because if I don't have a plan, I won't know what to do. And if I don't know what to do, then I can't make any decisions. And if I can't make any decisions, then I'm going to go broke, and the whole thing will be for nothing, and I'll be a complete failure. As the words spilled out of my mouth, I heard the absurdity of it all. I couldn't even believe I had just said that. That wasn't going to happen. What the fuck was I talking about? But the pressure of getting it right and coming home with a tangible plan that would give me the answers I was looking for, that would set out my calendar for the next three months, if not year, that would answer the years-long question about whether or not I should do another radio show that paid, when I should go back to Alaska, where, if at all, I should get a job, what to teach again, what event to do, was crushing me. The release I felt vomiting it out of my mouth was unmistakable. My goddess, what was I doing to myself? So much pressure to get it right, to figure it out, to have clarity. Clarity. Gotta know. Gotta have answers. That's what I believed. I needed clarity, which meant I believed I didn't have it. In fact, I was confused, which was clearly a problem when you're supposed to have clarity. No wonder I cracked. Who could live under such pressure? And don't tell me that stupid thing about the pressure needed by a piece of coal to become a diamond. I didn't want a fucking diamond. I wanted a clear path to a successful life. And not just any life, my successful life. I was mortified by this outburst. I just couldn't believe it was happening. It felt like I had an enemy inside me. As Kyle worked with me, I kept calling this voice, this entity, this thing, she, not wanting to be her, pushing her away, resisting this mess. My judgment of what was happening was so harsh, I wanted nothing to do with it. Kyle kept asking me, how do you feel? But it was all in my head, and I was getting so angry at him for asking me that stupid question over and over again. How was it not obvious how I felt? I did my best to stay present as the strength of what was happening pulled me apart. As I was writing this book months later, I could feel my mind trying to reach back into that night to remember what else happened, but I couldn't. There was this mental expectation as I wrote that I had to capture everything, and that simply wasn't possible. I mean, how could I have maintained the writer's focus with all that was going on inside of me? I was on some sort of trip, so deep inside the caverns of my body, my mind, my heart, my soul, my life, that whatever senses I used to retain and recall were nowhere to be found that night. Because of that meltdown, I learned so much about my mind, the way it thinks, and how sabotaging it had been all this time. I wanted Kyle to take it away. He looked at me the whole time, holding a tremendous presence, unwavering to the power of the voice that was coming through me, blaming him. He had no attachment to it at all. What she's saying, 
He asked me to listen to my separated self, the child version of me that I said was having this experience. Easy for you to say, I told him. He explained something about a mother and a child and how the mother doesn't let the child lead as that's what the mother is supposed to do. I could barely hear him. The pounding in my head was so loud. I started to calm down and I stopped crying so intensely. I started to breathe. I began to feel better, but nowhere near good. My heart was in pieces all over the million-dollar floor, and it hurt. I was exhausted and sad, so very sad, that I had put such unbelievable pressure on myself, pressure to get it right, to make the right decision, to create the right event, to go and come at the right time, to use the right marketing words, to send the right email that people would read. On and on and on it went. Those beautiful people held such a profound space for me that first night. I mean, nobody knew what the hell was going on. Here we were, selected for this transformational weekend and sequestered in this gorgeous home in L.A. with this man we trusted, though we really didn't know. Hours into it, we were like fresh Alaskan salmon, just pulled from the cold water and thrown onto the cutting table. The point of a sharp knife slicing us open to give full exposure to our hearts, bellies, and guts. In the other room, hummus, apple slices, and almond butter awaited our emotional eating after we were all done. The contrast was crazy. The phrase, what the fuck, was uttered and whispered and shouted many, many times that weekend as we cracked open who we were and began to expand and to change. Transformation is messy. Death is scary. Birth is painful. The truth was that the first significant event of the weekend happened for me in those early hours, though I never would have admitted it, let alone been conscious of it. It would take a bit of time to understand exactly what had happened there. <laughs>